Daily Drive is brought to you by eBay Motors. Auto dealers, are you missing the most engaged buyers because you don't know where to find them? At eBay Motors, you'll find buyers so motivated, they purchase a car or truck once every three minutes. Just call 866-210-5362 and mention code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. It's Monday, April 5th. Data analytics continues to open new opportunities for companies throughout the automotive industry and in the broader business of moving people and goods. The massive scaling in technologies like cloud, IoT, and 5G, coupled with emerging technologies in areas like machine learning, are allowing companies to operate their businesses and products cheaper and faster while also creating insights that allow them to respond faster to shifts in the market. In some cases, data analytics is also leading to entirely new ways to create value and generate revenue. James Davies, founder and CEO of WePredict, is merging the powerful technologies driving data analytics with his experience as an actuarial analyst to now help bring predictive analytics to the automotive industry. He says that a lot of the same forecasting principles that are applied in the insurance industry related to structuring and pricing policies can be applied to the automotive industry. Moreover, says Davies, the maturation of technology is creating capabilities and insights that can have an immediate impact on the bottom line. For example, understanding when components tend to break down, thereby allowing for proactive planning of service and repair. In the real world, that means that instead of being stuck on the side of the road with a busted alternator, replacement can be scheduled in advance. The result? Less cost, more uptime, and a happier and maybe more loyal customer. And that's only one use case. Think about sourcing decisions when selecting suppliers and having the insight to understand how one component compares to another. Davey says the future of predictive analytics is bright, including use cases well into the future where the science is used at scale to power autonomous vehicles and keep passengers more safe. What other near-term opportunities are emerging in the area of predictive analytics? What are the trends to watch? We've caught up with WePredict founder and CEO, James Davies. James, thank you for joining me today on Daily Drive. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, we're really excited to have you on the show. Certainly an exciting topic when it comes to analytics and, and some of the the opportunities in the automotive industry that analytics is opening up as more things become connected and more data comes streaming off of cars and consumers and infrastructure. Why don't we start with telling our audience a little bit about We Predict? What is your company's mission? Uh, what are you what are you looking to do or what are you doing for the automotive industry? Yeah, so um, uh, we provide predictive analytics around component failure, um, primarily to car companies. So, you know, we talk about data analytics, and, and I think most people have an understanding of what data analytics is. But can you talk a little bit broadly around why data analytics is becoming so important and perhaps some new insights that these this emerging area is unlocking? I think it's a, uh, it, <clears throat> it's a huge field. Um, there's probably nothing um, that you do in any job now where you don't get some extra data um, to help you do your job better. You know, I think uh, the data that is available for uh, every discipline across manufacturing, across all sorts of industries now, um, is enabling us to do a better job, uh, discover problems quicker, discover opportunities quicker, 
Um, and uh, I think uh, you know there's a lot of a lot of general advertising out there <clears throat> around predictive analytics. Um, a lot of uh, I think maybe scare stories around you know people being concerned for their jobs or being replaced. But I really see predictive analytics as an opportunity to improve the way that everybody does their work. Um, and the particular um, sphere that you know that we're concentrating on, uh, my background is I was an actuarial um, analyst, mathematician, um, and actuaries for you know hundreds of years um, have been using data um, to predict what's going to happen next in all sorts of scenarios. And um, the opportunity that I saw back in 2009 was to start a company um, that used some actuarial methods and some um, uh, some methods that were starting to come to the forefront around machine learning and uh, other you know, new statistical methods uh, to bring some, some new insights to a very particular field. So when I was at um, uh, the insurance company that I worked for, we used to um, price product risk. So if you uh, make a product and you provide a warranty, you provide some sort of guarantee, um, then it was my job at the insurance company to uh, come up with the, the predicted price for the cost of that in the future. And I managed to use some, uh, some methods that you would normally find in life insurance and more mortality and morbidity methods. Um, and we applied those in a slightly different context and what it enabled us to do was to scale up our predictions, uh, not just at the product level, but at the individual component level. And I was kind of lucky, really. Um, uh, I was able to code a little bit. and I understood the math um, and I had enough computing power on my desktop to deal with the amount of data that I had. And uh, for the first time, we as the insurance company were able to start provide feedback to the people that we were insuring around exactly what in their products um, was causing the price to increase or to decrease to, to ensure the liability of that. And I saw some operational use cases for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I left the insurance company, started we predict in 2009. Um, and initially the, the, the plan was, was, to, was to provide analytics as a service. So um, we would go in and say to the car company or the supplier, hey, we've got a slightly different way of looking at these problems that you have out in the field. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're going to be able to help you prioritize things in a slightly different way, you know, adding on to their capabilities, you know, certainly not replacing their capabilities. Um, and that, you know, that, that went pretty well. Um, it's, uh, it's always difficult to convince large, particularly large engineering organizations um, to do something, you know, to do something new. Um, uh, but we were relatively successful with that. Um, and, you know, over the last, 10, 11 years, you know, this whole field of predictive analytics has become a thing, right? Um, lucky that we called ourselves, we predict really, I didn't, I didn't really, we didn't really sort of come at this with the idea that we were going to start a predictive analytics company. We just had a very specific use case. Um, and uh, yeah, it kind of all started from there. Well, I think that's interesting, you know, data analytics, 10 years, 12 years, you know, it's consistent with the timeline you just described about your, about the company, you know, Early on, at least in my view, analytics was around KPI measurement. Are we performing at the 
level of which we anticipate, right? Performance KPIs, making those adjustments in real time. And what I think is interesting in what you're describing, and maybe is a new term for some of our listeners, is this this notion of predictive analytics. It's not only in a situation right now where we're we're measuring performance, but we can actually talk about part failures and we can we can make these assumptions more on on data analytics um you know these predictive things what's curious to me and i i I welcome your point of view on this is there's so much data out there how do you harness all this in a way that you you're not just looking at a piece of the of the of the data ecosystem right how do you how do you harness all of this stuff to really get the true insights and the true predictions of 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 you know the the situation that you have in front of you yeah so you know we we've always started with the domain expertise first and the data second um, mm. and you know these these panacea um <clears throat> products things like uh, you know that you see adverts on tv for you know, they're just not they're just not plausible you need to you need to have a really good idea about the problem that you're investigating first you can't expect a machine learning algorithm to guess what the substantive problem is, mm-hmm. you know, in any given context. You know, you need to bring that to the party yourself, um, and then you need to understand which of the tools on the shelf that you should use from an ML or an AI point of view to do the prediction. And you know, I have a very, uh, <clears throat> very low tolerance for the idea that there's some sort of, uh, you know, generic predictive analytics that you can apply in a in any context and come up with a great answer. You know, that's just not the way that this field works. You know, I think you'll see over time more and more extreme um, uh, specialization within fields. You know, we, we concentrate on a very thin slice of predictive analytics. And I think the thinner the slice that you concentrate on, uh, the better work that you'll do. Um, I think that, that you know, the, the, the general concept that there's a a button that you press and a better answer comes out from you know some sort of semi-random selection of inputs is just it's just not the way that it works and you know i think the the way that the public comes across you know this um this area of uh science if you like is you know um uh, some of these deep learning algorithms and you know the AlphaGo, for example, and uh, its ability to you know beat human players in a uh, in, in a game of Go. But the, the application for that in in general business is very small. You know, the, the 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 biggest thing when I'm you know talking to my you know my friends who aren't necessarily involved in this field, you know, the stuff that we're learning about these algorithms is fantastic. Their application is amazing, but you know a lot of these. Um, uh, generic applications where these algorithms are successful, you have information that you would never have in a business context. You know, specifically in a board game, you know, they refer to it as a board state. Right? You know where all the pieces are. You know what the constraints are with regards to the movements of those pieces. Um, and you know, there is only a certain number of moves that your opponent can make. Now. Now, if you think about the business context of that, just look at the piece of uh, you know the area that we're specialising in. You know, that's impossible. You know, you, even if you got down to us analysing you know an individual component uh, for an individual supplier in an OEM, 
the number of inputs and the effects on those inputs are enormous, right? You know, mm -hmm. your, the supplied um, raw materials, the ambient temperature of the factory, you know, all of these layered um, data points. So um, I think that, that specialization is key. Um, we've assembled a group of, uh, you know, genuine global experts around the area of statistics that we use, the you know, domain experts um, who've had first-hand experience of you know, how this stuff works um, in the manufacturing environment and you know within the, these the car companies and the suppliers themselves. But you need to pile all that stuff on top of each other, explain it to the uh, people who are applying the statistical techniques and the predictive analytics techniques, and then start working on that. So you know, doing it the other way around is just... Um, I'd be surprised if it's a hundred years away. <laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, absolutely. You, well, yeah. I think that's an important insight. I mean, I think when people look at predictive analytics and I'm talking broadly here, right, this notion of predictive analytics and they hear, you can help me mitigate risk. You can help me reduce risk. You can help me reduce costs through this. That piece that I think could be missing is, is what you just described as saying, but it has to focus on a specific area, a specific problem we're trying to solve. It can't cover everything right and so right so is there an education piece here right this is an, a, a bit i don't know if you would agree or not that this is an emerging area it's certainly a maturing area um you know how would you describe this where are we at now in this in the you know the the state of predictive analytics from hey i know what it is i know how to where i need to focus i you know is there an education piece here that that the industry needs relative to how to really harness this stuff as best as possible yeah i mean i think that you, you if you read you know in hbr or you know any of the other management publications you know, there's there's a certain amount of disenchantment i guess with the effectiveness of you know, some uh, corporate predictive analytics projects and I think it's it has come down to the way that it was initially sold, and you know we're you know we're we're learning how to deal with that as people are providing the service ourselves. And I think if you look in the wider industry, you know some of the bigger players are starting to learn those lessons too. That you know these these grand claims of perfect solutions from you know huge sets of data are just going to fall out of the bottom like uh, you know out of a vending machine. You know that's just that's just <laughs> not going to happen, and. Um, you know, one of the things that we've done that we think is is really uh, interesting and perhaps you know, a way forward for predictive analytics suppliers is we uh, took an investment um, from Munich Re, um, the world's largest reinsurance company, a few years ago, and and the, the premise was was that look we we are we are one hundred percent convinced and can convince you Munich Re of the suitability of our analytics for solving these very specific um, uh, use cases you know, within the context that we work. So for example, we, we, we are confident that we can tell a car company that they're gonna spend $800 million next year on their, on their warranty bill. Um, now, being another data input for a CFO is all well and good, um, but the extra kind of move that we made alongside Munich Green was to say, well, this, this predictive analytics piece really enables us to, to produce a guarantee, an insurance policy, if you like. So mm. we can come into a company and say, well, we're going to use these analytics. We're going to have a better idea about 
what's going to happen in the future. And we're so convinced of this that we'll guarantee it for you. And that, that guarantee will enable you to unlock cash. So, you know, in a simple in a simple example, just to carry on this sort of line of thought, if the manufacturer has a billion dollars worth of uh, accruals or reserves, and we think that they only need eight hundred million dollars worth of accruals or reserves over the next three or four years, you know, we can write an insurance policy alongside Munich Re to release that money. Now, if you take maybe ten steps back from that concept, you know, I really do believe that predictive analytics is going to create insurance opportunities you know, left right and center that you know really and truly insurance itself is a predictive analytics solution mm-hmm. right and it's a uh, obviously a way to uh, to combine risk as well so i think from my point of view one of the next progressions that predictive analytics industry makes is to to step away from convincing um companies to change kpis you know in the way that you alluded to earlier um, and really maybe just coming into own areas of corporate risk that, that the corporations aren't necessarily that interested in owning themselves or, you know, will benefit from some sort of shared risk pool. And I, I think that's a really interesting thing. I've, there's only a few of us who are doing that. Uh, Munich Re has a stable of companies um, who are employing, you know, similar measures for similar outcomes. And um, I'd be really surprised over the next five years or so if we don't see that where, the predictive analytics company is coming in and providing, you know, a, a from beginning to end solution involving the analytics that that solves a, a problem for uh, for a corporation that, you know, maybe it can't solve for itself. Let's turn the lens a little bit and let's talk about specific use cases. Right. So you talked about it. I want, I want to maybe talk about it around the product. I want to talk about it perhaps around business operations, the plant floor, to say it another way. And and then I also want to talk about it from a retail or a consumer business model perspective. When you think of predictive analytics and you talk about unlocking new pathways to value, what does this mean around the product? I mean, certainly some things are are, are pretty self-explanatory. We can we can perhaps better understand when when a part is going to fail as as an example and you mentioned that a little bit earlier as we started our conversation around components etc but when you're around when you're looking at the product the vehicle itself how where where are the where's the value where are the use cases around around predictive analytics i think one of the one of the examples that we'll often use when it comes to using our analytics to prioritize interventions which is effectively what we're doing you know we're our predictive analytics is leading people to problems that maybe they wouldn't have spent time on at this point. You know, they're still going to manifest themselves, um, but we're, you know, en- enabling them to start dealing with the issue earlier. Um, the first place or the first example I would give um, uh, is the Takata airbag. So, you know, the failure mode probably isn't right for the type of work we're doing. You know, this is a, the failure mode on the uh, Takata was, um, you know, around function rather than the failure of the uh, the product itself. Um, but if you look at the timeline for how that um, component kind of spread throughout the industry, so it started off at Honda and then ended up at a bunch of other manufacturers and, you know, was almost across the entire industry um, in, in the last few years. What we're, what we're doing is we are, for a a component that may well be supplied to multiple OEMs is saying, as soon as we think is possible, 
that there is an issue with this component. Now, imagine if we wind the clock back and, you know, once uh, issues were start, started to be seen at OEM 1, there was a way for OEM 2, 3, 4, and 5 to, to know about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the first use case for our analytics is, as I said, we would go in and we would sell the analytics as a service and ask the, the manufacturer or the supplier to give us their data. And always, always at the sort of second or third meeting after we'd signed the data sharing agreements, the, uh, the question was, um, can we see your other customers' data? You know, can we, can, can, can we get some benefit from um, everybody else's experience? And because of the nature of the commercial contracts between tier ones and OEMs and the way that in the past, certainly OEMs have been very guarded about sharing that sort of information, that, that just wasn't possible. So we went out um, a couple of years ago and went to, uh, did basically a roadshow around the idea that, by getting a set of data that was across the entire industry, we could increase safety for um, uh, for the consumer. Mm-hmm. So we went to a number of third parties who um, who see uh, data flows uh, from uh, you know, vehicle service um, companies and from dealerships and from uh, other third parties as well. And the pitch was, look, give us your data, we'll put it through our analytics engine, and we'll, we'll be able to spot uh, safety issues and opportunities for quality improvement much quicker, and we'll be able to share that with the industry. And, you know, rising tides you know, raises all boats kind of a uh, prospect that, that, mm-hmm. that everybody would improve and that safety would improve. So um, we managed to uh, line up a uh, quite a few um, uh, data suppliers for that project, and that's turned into a product that we call DeepView. Um, and DeepView basically contains um, billions of service messages across the last 10, 12 years, across tens of millions of VINs. And we're processing it through our um, analytics engine. And what it's allowing us to do is to uh, find early safety concerns, you know, safety critical components that appear to be increasing in their failure rates. And, you know, we publish on a uh, uh, quarterly basis a, a list of those components and uh, send them around to the safety folks at the OEMs and, and also to uh, to NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Authority. Um, and then we uh, also benchmark component quality for the OEMs and the suppliers as well. So until this product came along, um, if you were an OEM buying a new water pump, you know you knew how well your water pumps were performing within your own products, but you didn't really have any idea how they were performing on your competitors' products. So now you can get a complete view of every component across every vehicle um, in the United States, um, and it's uh, enabling better sourcing decisions and better engineering decisions. Um, And the reason that predictive analytics has a role here um, is that if if you don't have, um, if you don't have an ability to predict uh, failure frequency to the same point in usage time, you're not really, you know, you're not really comparing like with like. Um, so the predictive analytics enables to say, okay, well, with 23 months worth of experience, we think at five years or 60 months, the failure rate is going to be X on this component and Y on that component. And once you have that information, you can do a fair read across and you can start making some really industry, interesting decisions around sourcing, um, around design, um, and you know, I, I think this is a 
this this feels like a reasonable journey from the original um, use case that we had, which was, you know, we had a really clever set of analytics that would enable you to find out about problems you were going to have in the future sooner. And I, I think, you know, the more time that um, these types of use cases are out there and more data sets are being consolidated and layered on top of each other, you know, you'll see more and more very specific use cases that are going to benefit not only the manufacturers, you know, but uh, the consumers as well. We'll be right back with more of my conversations with James Davies, founder and CEO of WePredict. The most motivated car buyers aren't knocking on your door anymore. They're online, but you don't have to look far. You can find them at eBay Motors. Our platform features over 7 million engaged users. Our buyers are so engaged, they enter over 3 billion search impressions per month and buy a car or truck every three minutes. Today's car buyer has high expectations when they browse online. eBay Motors helps you meet those expectations. Use machine learning with our AI-driven vehicle pages, and you'll automatically optimize your buyer's experience. It's as easy as listing your inventory and watching as the most engaged buyers find you. If you've ever uploaded your automotive inventory to a website, you have more than enough skills to get your cars listed on eBay Motors. It will feel like you're setting up an entirely new car dealership within minutes. Once you list your available inventory, you'll have additional support from the platform, including a single destination page for your entire brand. Want to generate more sales automatically? eBay Motors lets you choose between auction, classified, and fixed-price listing options so the site does the heavy lifting. It even integrates with your existing dealer or vehicle management system. All you have to do is list your inventory. Sit back, relax, watch a movie, and then check back in to see the sales you've made. How do you start? It's as simple as creating an account. Call 866-210-5362 and mention the code AUTONEWS to get 50% off your first two months. Find out why selling cars has never been this easy. That number again, 866-210-5362. Yeah, let's let's stick with the consumer piece because I think you know not only in terms of a better quality, a better product, a better quality product. I th- there's a consumer appeal piece here as well, right? If I'm in the, the the marketing, sales, and service part of the organization, if I'm at the dealership, you have the opportunity to then say, be armed with, hey, you ought to consider my product because the data is showing that we have higher quality, we have we right. have more frequent uptime, we have. Yeah. And I think on the back end, the service, right, the customer experience of rather than being stuck on the side of the road when your alternator breaks down and and all of the inconvenience and the bad feelings that come with that, you find yourself in a situation where where these manufacturers and even dealers are able to say, hey, we think your engine is going to experience this failure in X. You should come in now and take a take a take a look. Let us take a look at it. I mean, from a customer experience perspective, there is a competitive advantage that comes with this. Yeah, for sure. And I think, you know, preemptive servicing is coming. Um, You know, we've, we've, I think we've been constrained for a while with regards to the data outputs that are actually coming off the vehicles. Um, You know, I certainly think that if you go back five years, the expectation was, was that once, you know, vehicles were connected to the network or, you know, you were able to, you know, summon data streams from from a vehicle, you know, that was going to be the end of the problem. You know, that's, that's actually the beginning of the problem. It's, it's a very complicated set of data outputs if you're getting sensor feeds off of the live fleet of vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, D, the uh, diagnostic trouble codes, the DTCs that come off the various modules in the vehicle, you know, they, there is some information in there, but 
they they're not necessarily connected. You don't have much edge computing within the individual vehicle for it to prioritize sensor outputs. This is a it's a very complicated problem to solve, which I think you know we're making some progress on. You know, we're we're working with some <clears throat> telematics companies to overlay you know the failure events with the sensor outflows, which is you know when you start getting towards this preemptive servicing ideal that you mapped out. I, I think it's coming. Um, I think in in the meantime, people who are operating large fleets uh, are going to benefit from that information. I still feel like it's just around the corner. You know, I think I've been to a, a lot of conferences over the last five years or so, and you know, you kind of expect this is already out there, and and it, and it just isn't. Um, but I, I think we're getting closer. Um, I think there's two pieces for the consumer. I think you know, uptime, as you say, is incredibly important, um, and you know, catastrophic failure is also is a big problem. You know, a roadside fail is uh, certainly something that no manufacturer wants to see. And you know, if you can get out with a preemptive service to stop that from happening, um, you also have also the you know the benefit of consequential loss. So, you know, towing or if component X fails, then it takes Y and Z with it, right? So. Um, there's a lot of reasons to do it, um, and uh, you know, I think we're, we're certainly uh, keen to, to play a part in that. I think the, the one other thing I would just sort of mention as well around the consumer is you can kind of see as the consumer, you know, when I'm talking to you know to friends about what we do, um, uh, you know, who aren't involved in the industry, you know, you see million vehicle recalls regularly, right? And um, no, nobody makes a million of anything, you know. You know, every now and again, Ford will you know will get close to making a million you know F one fifties, but you know most vehicle lines are in the hundreds of thousands, right? A couple of hundreds of thousands. But you see, you see million vehicle recalls, and that's because manufacturers have put the same problem on model year after model year after model year for the same car line. And you know that's the fundamental bit of our pitch and our business case, right? Is to say. You know, we will we will tell you as a supplier or an OEM, one model year, two model year, three model years early that this component is going to be a problem for you, and you can make a engineering intervention to stop that getting out in the field. And you know, as as a consumer, you know, you can see that happening probably on a monthly basis, right? So there's obviously still a lot of work to do. I mean, the, the long term impact or the implications of that from from a cost to the company perspective, but also from a com- consumer experience and quite frankly, consumer loyalty perspective. I mean, it's the, the opportunity there is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as, as we're moving towards shared fleet models, you know, some of these mobility solutions where you have, you know, shared infrastructure, uptime is going to be a problem that isn't just the consumers, right? It's going to be the OEM's problem too. If you're, if you're, if you're guaranteeing mobility rather than providing a car, you know, some of the hidden costs of um, uh, uptime as a consumer, you know, are, are lost time, for example. You know, the, the warranty doesn't include a, you know, $500 payment for the amount of time you've, you know, wasted sat at the side of the road, right? So, mm-hmm. um, but a service level agreement when you're providing a mobility solution will definitely include that. So I think a lot of these costs are going to come home to roost to the OEM. And they're going to become a bigger priority for them. Uh, I think... The, the EV angle as well is super interesting. So, you know, the, the data that we have on EV shows us that, you know, some of the early fears that we had about 
degrading degrading batteries, degrading you know, uh, lithium-ion batteries, doesn't really seem to be coming true. You know, these, these batteries are going to have very long lives. Some of these electric powertrains are going to be extremely, you know, extremely long-lived. And I think there's going to be a whole, you know, new industry around reconditioning interiors and dealing with um, the infrastructure of the vehicles that are out there in a very different way. And you know, having having a good idea about you know, what's going to need to be overhauled for a, you know, phase two or a phase three of ownership of the same vehicle with the same powertrain is also going to provide a, you know, you're going to have a lot of uh, opportunities for the OEMs and also for third-party companies around you know, around those issues too. So, um, yeah, there's, there's there's some fascinating things to come for sure. So let's look out in the future just a little bit more when it comes to autonomous, right? A lot of companies are working on how does an autonomous vehicle react when a catastrophic moment is approaching? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, my, my vehicle's heading for a tree. Do I turn left? Do I turn right? What is the the path of that that will create the the least amount of of catastrophe based on that decision? Does predictive analytics play a role in that autonomous future, and in specifically when it comes to passenger safety, car safety, and the decisions an autonomous vehicle might make? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> so I. I my, my uh, industry colleagues in data science and in machine learning who are working that you know that that field have got my uh, <laughs> my my admiration. It's a uh, it's I, it feels to me like that is also some distance away. And um, you know I think that we need to make progress with simulation, right? You know the the the, the generic ninety eight percent. Uh, decision making that you know those models need to make around everyday driving we're already there right mm-hmm. so you know i've got a i've got a tesla i'm happy for it to drive on a highway i feel quite comfortable about it i'm pretty sure it's doing a better job than i am um i think the the edge cases of autonomous driving are where you know either as a society we need to make a decision or there needs to be some huge breakthrough uh, with regards to simulation technology so in individual edge cases where um, the machine learning algorithm is making a bad decision about categorization <clears throat> and without getting into the weeds too much you know most machine learning and AI uh, work really involves classifying an event as you know, one thing or another you know putting it into a bucket you know do I carry on do I turn left do I turn right you know what what, what do I categorize this uh, this event as is it is it a you know come to a stop problem or you know can I drive around it? And I, I, the small amount of interaction that we have with that, I, I think there's a there's a huge amount of work to do. Um, I think if if we were if I was looking at this going back to my you know insurance pass and just looking at it as a as a as a risk profile and the probable the probability of failure, you know. We could we, we could probably let most of the vehicles that are on the road today start being uh, driven by the um, uh, by the AI kit that we've already got, and we would have a dramatic improvement in road safety. But that I just don't think as a society we're ready to tolerate the edge cases, right? You know, the, the famous one with the Tesla missing uh, seeing a reflection of the sky mm-hmm. in the side of a white truck. You know, those types of weird edge cases. I haven't seen any 
great simulation software yet or read about any simulation software that's going to come up with these types of you know random com almost completely random uh, events um, that these uh, these ai tools are going to have to have a good sense about what to do next on right so yeah um, mm -hmm. i think if i was if, if, if i was going to be coming into this field uh from fresh i, no, I think that would be something that i would be uh, super interested in but I, I still feel like there's a long way to go on that yeah so I want to talk about you. You mentioned Takata, and, and it occurred to me was you were saying that and, and talking about that. Did we see the chip shortage problem coming? Could we have predicted that better? Yeah, I mean, I would have thought so. That you know, if you're talking about the widest, the wider uh, field of predictive uh, analytics and supply chain management, which isn't something that we're directly involved with, we have you know, worked on some sourcing projects in the past. Yeah. If you go back a few years ago, there was a uh, there was a fire in a paint factory in Germany, mm -hmm. um, and it and it led to almost no manufacturer being able to make black vehicles. Do you remember that? It was, mm -hmm. uh, it was Absolutely, super weird. And um, I know there's a lot of work going on um, uh, with uh, companies trying to map and second guess the supply chain. Um, you know, really trying to figure out where the pinch points are. Um, I know that uh, not long after um, you know, that that paint issue, there were a couple of uh, large consultant firms, one of which we did some work with on this. Um, we're just trying to map out the supply chain and and trying to apply some you know, natural um, disaster uh, planning for that. You know, uh, what would happen if um, you, know, you can no longer source from this area and what have you. Um, I think it's, it's 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 an interesting question. If you go back to you know your one of the first things you asked around you know the uh, application of predictive analytics in a in a broader sense, I think you would probably find that most manufacturers have already highlighted chip shortages as a <laughs> you know as a, as a single sourcing issue that you know that may well come on to buy them. I actually am not sure. I need to go back and look at it, but I'm pretty sure I read. This was going to happen in The Economist about six months ago. Um, I'm not sure whether or not they use predictive analytics to figure that out. All right, so let's close with one more question. You're looking ahead. What trends are you watching? What, what excites you most about this area in the next three to five years? Yeah, so I think we've got a role to play. Predictive analytics has got a role to play in the sort of the changing way in which we, <clears throat> excuse me, in, in the changing way that we you know, consume, um, consume vehicles. So, now, one of the things that we're interested in looking at is um, uh, the role of insurance with regards to keeping the vehicle on the road. So, you know, uh, currently you get a warranty from the uh, manufacturer or, you, you know, you buy a warranty. But we think there's an opportunity to, to safeguard uh, customers and consumers of vehicles from, you know, catastrophic uh, failures in their vehicles in a different way. We're not, we're not sure whether or not this could be something using the analytics that we've got that could be, you know, included in a collision insurance coverage, for example. So that's that's something that wouldn't have been able to have been done in the past without a, you know, a good data set and good predictive analytics. And, you know, I'm, I'm, we're, we're interested in working on that. The other thing is uh, around residual value and you know, understanding what, you know, the new life cycle of uh as I said, particularly EVs, but also, you know, uh, ICE vehicles as well. <clears throat> um, you know, I still think it's 
still strange that you can't get a uh, you can't lease a used vehicle, right? And mm-hmm. you know, one of the reasons one of the reasons that is is that um, the secondary funder, you know, the lease provider, the bank doesn't have a really great idea about the longevity of the of, of these vehicles. And actually, manufacturers themselves, beyond the manufacturer's warranty, don't normally have a great handle on what's happening to the vehicles once it you know passes totally to the responsibility of the of the owner of the vehicle so we think there's some interesting use cases around that um i think it's really hard to second guess what the third and fourth order consequences of having some of these data sets are you know you know i i think if i was listening to this uh interview um you know when we started the company i would have thought that a lot of the things that we've just talked about would have been an enormous reach um from the first piece of analysis that we do but you know when when you're working in this field um and it can be actually sometimes quite frustrating you know once you've answered one question you you fa- you've actually found yourself a new question to ask right mm-hmm. and um i think there's there's a long journey to go on with this stuff i think it's going to be uh um it's going to be interesting to see where it ends up. Um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, I, I think I'll be surprised myself with with some of the the work and the enablement of these data sets. You know what we're able to do with it. Wonderful, James. Thank you so much for joining me today on Daily Drive. Congratulations to you and the team at We Predict, and thank you for sharing your perspectives and insights. And you know predicting, if you will, what the future of analytics in this industry uh, looks like. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Steve. That's Daily Drive for Monday, April 5th. For breaking news, go to autonews.com. And to catch up on all of our episodes of Daily Drive, go to autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive. As always, thanks for listening.